What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Monday edition of The Yard. I'm on the road. I'm in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, for an event this evening with the Mississippi State MSU Alumni Association. I apologize. My voice got a little bit louder. I got a new mic. I've been wanting to upgrade the mic, so I took care of that while I was down here. Promised you guys a show, even though that I was away from, from Stargill. So, so here we are. A lot to talk about. I've, had, I've heard from many of you said, hey, Steve, looking forward to the show and what you got to say. We're going to spend most of the show talking about baseball. Uh, but, you know, we're getting the end of basketball season, so we kind of got to address some of that. You know, women uh, lose to Kentucky in the first round, their first game of the SEC tournament. And then Kentucky goes on to win the whole thing, upsetting South Carolina with a big three-point basket on yesterday. So congratulations to the Lady Wildcats. Uh, I like parity, especially when it doesn't come at our expense, right? I mean, you like – you know, Don Staley is a legendary coach, but uh, she's kind of easy to root against, I guess, if you're a Mississippi State fan because we've had such a, a rivalry with them. It's if we can't win it, you don't want them to. But uh, they didn't win it. That's not to say that they won't be the odds-on favorite to win an actual championship. And I'm sure Don Staley being the coach that she is, and she is tremendous, she will use this setback as an opportunity to motivate her team for the NCAA tournament. Certainly they will host the first two rounds, and the next thing you know, uh, they'll be in the Sweet 16 and pushing towards another national title. Mississippi State men will get underway against South Carolina in the SEC tournament. Uh, a lot to talk about. There's a lot of speculation out there. I don't believe it really is speculation. Uh, I, as I have said for some time now, I do expect there to be a coaching change at Mississippi State. I believe that is warranted. Sometimes we get caught up in this principles and personalities thing and say, well, you know, Steve, I had somebody earlier say, well, you know, Richard Williams didn't win a lot before he went to the Final Four. I just think we've grown as a fan base and grown as an athletics department that we expect more. And to be quite honest with you, and, and this may hurt some feelings, and if I step on your toes, I hope it hurts. If you're one of those fans, and we need every fan we can get, we do. At Mississippi State, we're a relatively small fan base considering the neighborhood in which we live. But if you are a fan that believes it is okay for us to go seven years without an NCAA tournament win and just one appearance in the tournament, um, 
then you're part of the problem, to be quite honest with you. We, we can't have that kind of culture where we just expect, let's just, let's just go fill the team and have fun. And if I can get my picture made with one of the players, you know, it's a successful year. Yeah, I, I just think we should expect more. I think we deserve more. And I think we're going to have more. Uh, a lot of names out there, of course. We're doing our best between uh, Paul Jones and I, kind of keeping you guys updated. Uh, you know, Paul's on the road covering baseball, so he's he's keeping his ear to the ground. I'll kind of jump in with an amen every now and again. But uh, we're doing our best to kind of let you know what we're hearing. But we do feel like now it's just simply a matter of time. Does John Cohen make an announcement now? Does he make it after the Bulldogs were eliminated from the SEC tournament? I mean, because you, you look at a situation, too, like you make the announcement now, and then what if they win the tournament and go to the NCAA tournament? You know, so it could be an awkward situation. So, you know, we'll see how things develop. But, um, you know, you know, barring a Gary Henderson-type run into the postseason, I think we all know where this thing is headed. Uh, there's some names out on the jeanspage.com message board. If you're not a member of Jeans Page, let me encourage you to be a member of Jeans Page. Uh, we share a lot of things on our message boards as moderators and, and staff members that we don't put on Twitter. And if you have questions, a lot of times if you ask on Twitter, we may not answer them. We're going to answer you over on the jeanspage.com message board. So go give us an opportunity there. And again, Paul Jones is, uh, you know, basketball is kind of his thing. You know, he helps out with uh, football, of course, and recruiting. Uh, but, you know, Paul is a guy that plays basketball, really loves the game, has a good understanding for the game. And so he's going to have some insight perhaps you don't get elsewhere. Uh, but it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck type situation when it gets to coaching searches. Everybody kind of gets involved because we all have different sources. We all talk to different people. And it's good to kind of get a variety of opinions because there are sometimes some some of the people we speak to may not be privy to everything that's going on. So there is this collective opinion that we share. And, uh, again, if you hear things, obviously let us know. We're happy to go uh, vet them out for you as best we can. Uh, I would share with you, too, you know, Mississippi State's going to be changing coaches on the women's side, too. A lot of people have supported uh, Coach Doug Novak. He is still a candidate. I do Again, I don't get the sense that he is the leading candidate. I know that he has some support within the fan base, you know, and rightfully so. But I think in the end, we've got to have somebody that we feel confident can run the program. And that's one of those questions you kind of ask yourself. You know, was this a situation where you had a group of people uh, kind of working together in a life raft to get to shore? They make it to shore, and you're like, hey, you know, hey, this is wonderful. You know, I think Doug's done an admirable job, but at the end of the day, I don't think he gets the job. I don't. And I'm going to support whoever is the head coach at Mississippi State because uh, I support Mississippi State. So anybody that is for Mississippi State, I am for them. But at this point, I do not project Doug Novak to be the coach. Now, that's not to say that he's out of contention. Let's say we go after a couple of our candidates out there that we really like, and maybe we can't get those people. And you say, well, these other candidates are kind of on par with Doug Novak. Well, then you've got to kind of rethink, take a deep breath and step back and reconsider. If you're going to go out there and the best available option is somebody that uh, is on the level of Doug Novak, well, you're better off keeping Doug, right? But I think at this point, I think things are trending in a different direction. Just my somewhat educated opinion on the topic. Uh, let, let's get into uh, our basketball recap, and that will be a brief one because I want to spend most of the day talking about baseball. But uh, uh, Big, Bulldog Burger Company sponsors this segment of the show. Great people doing a great job, selling great food at a great price. Uh, three great locations to serve you. And, yes, I do know that the one in central Mississippi is on Lake Harbor Drive. I kind of misspoke 
last week, and a lot of people correct me, and, and I love you for it. I don't, I don't get offended by such things. I make a mistake. I'm not above it. But uh, you won't make a mistake by choosing Bulldog Burger Company. I love going in there. I've kind of been partial to the Sloppy Joe sliders here as of late. That is a really, really great lunch item. It's hearty. It's not, it's not overfilling, though. You know, sometimes when you've got a big day and you've got to step out and you want a quality meal for lunch, you think, you know, I want something that's it's good, something that's going to tide me over to dinner, but I don't want to overeat and be lazy in the afternoon. Maybe the Sloppy Joe sliders are for you. They're, they are, they're for me. I can promise you that. Uh, I love that great BLT salad. I like it grilled. You may prefer it fried. You can get it either way. But, of course, the main reason you go to Bulldog Burger Company is those great restaurant-quality hamburgers. One of the great delicacies in life. Be sure and go find your own favorites. Bulldog Burger Company, again, three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Stark Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, yes, Lake Harbor Drive in the Madison, Ridgeland, Flowood area. Wherever. Jackson, wherever you are in central Mississippi, you're in a reasonable driving distance of a great restaurant-quality burger at Bulldog Burger Company. Be sure and go by and check them out. Have the spring rolls as your appetizer. They will make you and everyone around you uh, better looking. Real quickly, last regular season basketball game is in the books. A a disappointing year. Let's just kind of call it for what it is. We all felt this was a potential tournament team. It is not. We end the regular season 17-14 and 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 8-10 in the league. 14-3 14-3 and three at home, 1-9 and nine away from Humphrey Coliseum on true road games and 2-2 two and two on the neutral floor. Uh, the reality of it is, is this is a missed opportunity. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The nucleus of this team is not expected to be back next year. So, again, you're going right back to the portal, you know, trying to find a way to piece the team together. And here's the reality of that. You know, we're out there competing with other teams that can say, hey, listen, we went to the NCAA tournament last year and needed one more guy to get us to Sweet 16. That could be you. You know, our, our message is, hey, we're trying to get to the tournament. Hey, well, Coach, didn't you have a tournament team last year and you didn't make it? You know, so it's difficult to kind of piecemeal this thing together when, you, when you're basically selling a promise. Other teams are selling productivity. We're selling a promise, and we haven't made good on those promises here as of late. And so, again, you go back. I go back to that NCAA tournament team. You know, we had three NBA guys. Well, Steve, and yeah, that's kind of a loose interpretation, but all those guys who played minutes in the NBA, we had all three of them on one team, and we lose to Liberty in the first round. It's ridiculous. I mean, it really is. I think we should expect more. I think we deserve more. And again, 17 and 14 overall, that's just not going to get it done. If we had gone, you know, say 20 and 11, and then those wins are in, in in the SEC, now, all of a sudden, you're 11 and 9, you're above 500, and what's proven to be a pretty good basketball league this year. And we certainly had the opportunities to do that, and we didn't execute. Let's take a quick look at AM, and I'm not going to be sarcastic, but I'm a fan just like the rest of you guys. 33 22 at the break. State has a tremendous second half, puts up 42 points, but defensively, we couldn't really limit them, even though we outscored them. We end up losing by three. You know, again, a good run down the stretch. We had just dug too big a hole in the first half. You know, it's an 11-point basket. Excuse me. After the first basket, it is an 11-point game as soon as we start. So it's a double-digit lead for those guys. You know, 35-24, excuse me, 35-22. And then uh, next thing you know, we, we kind of begin to get in this thing. But we trailed again by as many, I guess it's 17. Yeah, with 17, 18, 19, with 14, 19 to go. 
every opportunity, every opportunity to quit, and we didn't quit. We didn't quit. Give the young the young men credit; they didn't quit. Down 19, we cut it to 15, cut it down to 13. It's down to 11, right around the 12-minute timeout. They push it back to 12. We get it down to nine. Anderson Garcia knocks down the uh, old-fashioned three-point play. We get into single digits, and you think, well, here we go. They knock down a big three, which is kind of par for the course. You know, we're we're kind of lax defending the perimeter. But at least at this point, under 10, we're within striking distance. They make another big three to push it out to 15, right into the under eight. Again, State gets it into single digits. 6-14 to play. We're down eight. We get a steal. Next thing you know, and we got a chance. We have a couple of empty possessions there. It's down to six, under five minutes. Down, and again, 56-50. And you're thinking, you know what? Hey, a couple of good possessions here. We get a stop or two. We can put this thing away. Anderson Garcia on a fast break dunk cuts it to four with 3.37 to go. So we're in, we're in, again, the witching hour for Mississippi State. We're in the final four minutes, right? Which has kind of been the thing for us. It's been a consistent theme. And, and again, we can't finish. We do make this one a lot more competitive, though. We didn't just run out of gas. We did, didn't make shots. State cuts it to three. 128 to go. You're within a possession. And you begin to think, oh, we're going to find a way to make this thing happen. And of course, I'm covering baseball when all this stuff is taking place. Uh, so I can get a chance to watch the game live. You guys would probably have a little better insight when it comes to uh, you know our body language and quality of play. All right, so under a minute to go, after they had gone up five, Tolu gets a dunk down low. It is now a three-point game, and from there, we just we we struggled to really close the gap. They call a timeout, reset the defense. We get a foul. They knock down a couple free throws. Tolu again battling hard for us. Uh, makes it makes it a three-point game. And then at that point, it's a free-throw shooting contest at which they win. We make a basket, you know, with under 10 to go and uh, never got the basketball back. So we lose ball games 67-64. And, again, it's another narrow loss. It's another road loss. And at some point, we have to, you know, we can't reconcile these things. We can't sit back and say, well, you know, we did our best. As I said last week on the show, sometimes your best isn't good enough. It's not your best you need to do. It's what's required. And this A&M team obviously was something to play for. And I don't know perhaps if we've mailed it in a little bit, but the reality of life is it's a disappointing year. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I don't think there's any Bulldog fan out there that looks at this and says, hey, hey, this is a good year. Even some of the Ben Howland loyalists, and I hate to even label people that. There are a lot of people that have really believed in Ben, and I don't want to paint them in a negative light. I think belief is a wonderful thing even if we don't believe the same things. I, I, I admire people who are passionate. And uh, Ben Howland, obviously, an impeccable you know, coaching record throughout his career. Northern Arizona, UCLA, the guy has done some great things. The game has changed a lot, though. But there were a lot of people that placed a lot of belief in Ben Howland. I think it's a wonderful thing. I really do. But now even those people said, hey, you know, guys, it, it just didn't work out. It's not always somebody's fault. Sometimes just things don't work. Sometimes it's not the best fit. You know, the seven years is enough of a snapshot, though, for us to kind of get an idea of what we, uh, what we expect uh, from the Ben Howland era here at Mississippi State. I think that is a big part of things. It's like it's not like, like with Rick Ray. You know, we're thinking, okay, Rick's going to get it another year. And then we get a phone call, hey, Rick Ray is out, and then Ben Howland is in. It happened very quickly. You know, Ben Howland has had twice as long as Rick Ray 
to turn this thing around. And again, I am forever grateful for Ben Howen to restoring some dignity to Mississippi State men's basketball because there were times that we were an absolute joke. You know, we're losing games 67-64, and while those losses sting, they don't sting as bad as going out there getting drilled 30 and 40 points. And that's what we had kind of grown accustomed to. And uh, if you're like me, and I know many of you are, I get awfully uncomfortable when Mississippi State is in a sporting event and somebody gets the better of us and then we have to hear about it on social media because I love Mississippi State. I know you guys do as well or you wouldn't be listening to the show. And so I'm, I'm grateful for Ben Howen to improving the situation at Mississippi State. There is no question about it. Mississippi State is in a much better position than they were when Ben Howen took the job. Ben believed in us, believed in the opportunity. He came in. I believe he gave his best effort. And I believe Ben recruited really well. But his style of basketball just doesn't really correlate to success in today's modern game. And you can say, well, Steve, are you saying the game passed him by? Maybe so. Here is what I know, though. You know, we, we just don't execute at a high enough proficiency in the half court to play a grinded-out, slow-down game. We've got to be a team that uses our athleticism to get out and go. It's not an exciting brand of basketball. And so it's a boring brand of offense, and then you're losing on top of it. You're losing games you shouldn't. And so it's difficult to have a fan buy-in when you don't have a lot to get excited about. You know, to be honest with you, some of our best months in men's basketball the last few years has been the offseason. Oh, we've got this recruit coming in. We've got this transfer coming in. We've got this Bulldog legacy. And it kind of stokes these feelings of remembrance. I remember how great his dad was. I remember this. I remember that. I remember his dad making this great play. And so these feelings of nostalgia kind of think, hey, well, there's some hope here. And hope is a beautiful thing. Things just didn't work out as we hoped. And so, again, we're preparing now for a coaching change. It is warranted. Uh, it is not a situation, obviously, where there has been, uh, you know, any issues as far as, uh, you know, off the court. The bottom line is we just haven't won enough. And it's really good to be able to make a coaching change under those circumstances if you have to make one, right? The last thing you want is to have to deal with some type of scandal, like some of these schools that were caught up in the NCAA thing. And, and there were so many people, too, if you remember, when all this stuff bu- bubbled up, the FBI probe, some of the enemies of Mississippi State, we're suggesting, oh, you know, Ben Howen's in deep with Adidas and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, ben Howen's name's never been mentioned in connection with any of that stuff. Ben has been above reproach other than by the enemies of Mississippi State. Remember the people that brought up Lamar Peters this? The, our NCAA compliance officers at Mississippi State looking at every bit of that. There was no merit to any of that. So there's not any skeletons in the closet in that respect. There's not anything like that. He just didn't win enough. And there have been times in the past we've had to make a coaching change and it hadn't been under the best of circumstances. And, you know, here's the thing, too. It's not like we've bottomed out. We're in a much better situation talking to sources close to the search. There is a tremendous amount of interest in the job. There are several people that want the job to see it as a great opportunity. And those are the kind of people we want. We want people that see working at Mississippi State as a tremendous opportunity. I've shared with you guys before, I don't want anybody here from the coach to the cleaning staff that doesn't think they're working to the best place in the world. I want our coaching staff, I want everybody involved to feel like we do about Mississippi State. I know for many of them it's a job, but I want everybody to think, you know what, this is the greatest job I've ever had. This is a wonderful place. The people of Starkville are fantastic. The Mississippi State fan base treats me like family. This is where I want to be. And so that's a person you got to go out and get. you got to go get somebody. So this isn't just another stop in the road for me. This is a destination in many respects. This is where I've always wanted to be. And I'm not saying that maybe they don't feel that way today, but when they begin to investigate the opportunity at Mississippi State, they're like, wow, 
I remember when this happened. This is a team that's been to the Final Four. This is a team that's been to the Sweet 16. This is a team that has put players in the NBA. This is a program the fans will support when you're winning and winning big. And that's going to have to happen. It's as simple as that. I want to go ahead and award to our Prime Shrimp Player of the Year at Mississippi State. Prime Shrimp, primeshrimp.com. You know, they've, listen, they've been peeling shrimp for 40 years. Uh, had some people in my family that have uh, snuck into the pouches that I had. I, I was, you know, got some shrimp myself, and uh, they have sampled them, and they're like, hey, Dad, where did you get this shrimp? Well, I got it at primeshrimp.com, not a chask. Three great flavors, the Louisiana Crab Bowl, the... <laughs> The the fettuccine the fettuccine noodles have never felt better or tasted better than with the prime, the, the the prime shrimp Alfredo. It's incredible. And here's the thing about it too: a lot of people say, "Steve, I'd love to have you know shrimp dish. I would, but it's a lot of trouble." And you know what it is? Ordinarily, unless you're getting your shrimp from prime shrimp, they're already peeled, the tails have already been removed. You don't have to sit there and pick with it. You can just boil a pot of water, open the pouch, roll them in there. Ten minutes later, you're good to go. No fuss, no cleanup, none of that stuff you got to deal with ordinarily with shrimp stuff. You can enjoy premium shrimp at a great price at Prime Shrimp. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, use promo code BONEYARD, and you'll save a little money off that first order. How cool is that? Saving you some money. You want it anyway, and if you went down to Tulane this weekend, or if you're in Baton Rouge tonight, you understand how great it is to get high-quality seafood, you can have it delivered right to your door. That's primeshrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD. And, of course, our player of the year, without questions, Iverson Molinar. Uh, people wondered this year how he would handle kind of being the guy with DJ Stewart gone. I think he did a really good job. Uh, very few games that you look at, and Iverson didn't come through. Now, there were some people around him, obviously, that – didn't really prove to be complimentary scorers and people that uh, maybe carried their load of the weight sometimes. He had to deal with the fact that Tolu was out a lot this year, uh, who was expected to be the secondary scorer and, and really was down the stretch. I think Tolu played outstanding, played really hard down the stretch. But Iris and Molinar started all 31 games for Mississippi State, led the team with 1,056 minutes, averaged 34.1 per game, attempted 411 shots, made 190, all these obviously team highs. Shot 46.2%, just 26 of his 101 three-point attempts for uh, 25.7%, and that's a part of his game he'll have to round out. One of the nation's best free-throw shooters, and certainly in the SEC, 87% this year. Scored 17.8 points per game. Pulled down 95 rebounds, averaging 3.1 a game. 113 assists, 37 steals, and 12 blocks. So your prime shrimp player of the year for Mississippi State, Iverson Molinar. So, again, grateful to Iverson Molinar for all his contributions to Mississippi State sports and Mississippi State basketball. Uh, wish him the best and whatever he decides to do next. Tremendous player, tremendous young man, really bought into what we were trying to do and did his best to kind of shoulder the, the load this year uh, to get Mississippi State to an NCAA tournament. And I don't think that, that the fact that we're not making it is a reflection on him. I think he did his part and then some. He just needed a – uh, more contribution from his supporting cast. So, again, the Prime Shrimp uh, Player of the Year, Iverson Molinar. All right. I, I want to thank you guys, too, that, uh, you know, those of you that showed up in New Orleans, uh, thanks for turning out to support the Diamond Dogs. I had a chance to meet several of you 
uh, pretty fabulous too. I, I, I always enjoy road baseball because I enjoy supporting the team. I tell people all the time, road baseball is one to me is one of the greatest joys in life. I love being able to go on the road. I love to be able to meet the other fans. And there's a lot of fans too that can't make it to Duty Noble. And so we get out there on the road when we have a chance to connect and, uh, you know, have a good time. Matter of fact, I was down on Bourbon Street Saturday night. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I'm clean and sober. But I went down there to kind of enjoy, uh, you know, the city. I mean, what's the point going to, uh, to all these great towns if all you ever do is sit in a hotel? So uh, Friday night I behaved myself because I was tired after a long day on the road. And then uh, Saturday covered the baseball game, went down to Bourbon Street. Of course, didn't drink or anything. But uh, had a chance to run into a lot of great Bulldog fans. It's a great time, too. It's good to see everybody out having a good time. It is. And, and even though New Orleans can be a dangerous place, you know, I, I guess because of how I look and how I dress, when I walk to the dark side of Bourbon Street, people just kind of accept me. Uh, but, yeah, so good to see so many of you that uh, came up and said hello. I always appreciate that when people say, hey, Steve, love the podcast. Uh, lo- love Gene's page. Love the books. It's very rewarding, even though I'm a person that, uh, you know, works really hard. It's nice that little things matter. And, uh, you know, here's the thing, too, though. When I, when I got back, I Ubered. That's, that's a new experience for me, Ubering. I usually drive, but I really didn't want to have to worry with paying to park downtown and kind of put my Mustang out there in harm's way. So I Ubered back and forth. And uh, it was humid down there. It's a little bit warm. So I get back, and you know, you got the Bourbon Street funk on you, you know. So you go get a shower and everything. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't know if I'll ever feel clean again. And it's amazing. In my teen years, I didn't really care. You know, it's like you go down to Bourbon Street and you and you wore that stench like a badge of honor. Well, I had to go to work Sunday. Luckily, I had my great Hawthorne cologne with me. I love the Hawthorne products. I really do. I, I, if you hadn't tried them, they sponsored us before. They're back for a little short run with us. Let me encourage you. Hawthorne is absolutely the way to go. It, it's even Bourbon Street funk proof. How about that? And it's not just me. You've got some great athletes out there that have upgraded their own grooming game. Steph Curry, Tyrod Taylor, many others. They're working hard this offseason to kind of get uh, you know, get their teams where they need to go. And Hawthorne is a premium men's grooming brand that makes it quick and easy to be your best with confidence. There's nothing worse than having to second-guess your own scent when you get ready to walk into an event. Hawthorne gives you the opportunity to use your own preferences, and they take that data, and they will fine-tune these products for you using your own body chemistry, your skin type, hair type, lifestyle, everything. Lean on Hawthorne to upgrade your body wash, shampoo, deodorant. Let them recommend a face cleanser, even moisturizer to elevate your game. Of course, they perfected the process when it comes to cologne. I have a lot of people that ask me, Steve, where'd you get that cologne? What are you wearing? What's Hawthorne? And it's tailor-made for me. Here's what you do. You get started. Go take that great quiz. Very, very easy. It's like, what do you like to drink? What do you like to eat? And the next thing you know, they formulate this product for you. So get ready for whatever comes your way this season and beyond by taking Hawthorne's quiz today. Go to Hawthorne.com. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.com. And use promo code Boneyard to get 10% off your first purchase, trying to help you smell and look good. Again, that's Hawthorne, H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.com, promo code Boneyard, uh, to save 10%. And let me tell you this, if all you do is get the cologne, you will have upgraded the quality of your life. It is without a doubt the best cologne that I've ever had. I have tried all the products. They're all outstanding. But to me, the, the cologne stands alone. And many of you Boneyard listeners have reached out and said, hey, Steve, love the Hawthorne. And a couple of folks told me that uh, their significant other 
took the quiz to get the to get the cologne to match their preferences. So I guess they you smell like they want you to smell. So go check it out today. That's Hawthorne.com. Okay, it's time for today's top ten list. We're going to do a little bit. Roy had this great idea, and then I have taken Roy's idea, and I have changed it a little bit. You know, we have uh, we have we've done nearly four hundred of these. In case you didn't know, that's a lot. That's a lot of bands. That's a lot of people that uh, we've kind of gotten to the bottom of the barrel sometimes too. Right, and and sometimes I just do a top ten list of a band that I like, and kind of hopes of turning you guys on to them. We did that with Shaman's Harvest and Ra. Uh, went back and did Candlebox, and what's amazing to me is like Bullet for My Valentine's, a band that I love. And I didn't know that you guys would like it. It was like in a top ten. When a top ten must listen to top ten list we've had, and of course top ten list brought to you by CloseTheBlair.com. Uh, Blair, a great friend of mine, a great friend of yours. And it pays to have a friend in the industry when you're navigating something perhaps you're unfamiliar with. That's the mortgage industry. Uh, Blair's been a mortgage professional now for 21 years. Top 1% close ratio for Fairway Mortgage. Recently rated number one in customer satisfaction and number two in closed loan volume nationally for the year 2021. This is a company that knows how to get things done. And you're going to get their biggest they're big game hunter working for you. Maybe you've thought about refinancing. Maybe you've had some success in the past, or maybe you didn't get a deal you wanted. Maybe you're looking to get out of PMI. Blair can have a plan to get you taken care of. Visit him today at closewithblair.com. at C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, closewithblair.com. And mention to him you heard about him on the barnyard. He's going to pay for your appraisal. How about that? That's about a $500 value, less money out of your pocket. So whether you're looking to consolidate some debt to lower your your monthly payout, maybe you're looking to get some cash out to put in a pool, pay for a wedding, take a trip to Europe, who knows? Get your equity working for you with a mortgage professional like Blair Chandler at closewithblair.com. Okay, so we're going to, once a week, we're going to revisit a list. But it's not going to be, well, we've already done this artist. And so we're just re-ranking the list because of my personal... We're not going to be lazy like that. So what we're going to do is some of these classic rock and other music artists, we're going to rank their top 10 albums. And then I'm going to give you my favorite song off those albums. And that's going to be your top 10 list. And today, we're going to start with The Prince of Darkness. No, it's not me. It's Ozzy Osbourne. I thought, what a better way... There is no better way than to to open the revisited Boneyard Top 10 artist than with Ozzy Osbourne. Listened to a lot of Ozzy this weekend, so I am prepared. Now, Ozzy has uh, 12 studio albums. One of those undercovers is a cover album, right? And I didn't put Ordinary Man. I'm not quite, I haven't listened to that album enough to really develop a lot of favorites. So that one didn't make our Top 10 list. But what you're going to have now, the top 10 remaining albums from Ozzy Osbourne, solo, ranked 10 to 1. So here we go. Number 10 is Black Rain. I thought the album was a little bit disjointed. It's always good to hear Ozzy. I felt like in many respects that uh, the song quality was not up to par with who we consider one of the greatest uh, rock vocalist of all time. But I did love the song, I Don't Want to Stop. I love the percussion on it. I think it's fabulous. Uh, I love the up-tempo guitar on it. It's a great song, but it's from an album that's one of my least favorites from the catalog. 
Number nine is Down to Earth. Cool album cover. And again, a little bit, there's a little filler in the album. It's not killer. Like some of the stuff from the, from the heyday, the Ozzy Osbourne heyday of the uh, mid-80s, early 90s, it wasn't a bad song on those albums. I think Down to Earth is one that there is sometimes that uh, some songs are somewhat lacking. But I love the song Gets Me Through. Gets Me Through is your number nine song on today's top ten. Number eight, this is an album, too, that I really thought was kind of a step in the right direction in some respects. Pretty cool album cover, too. Uh, the album is Scream, and the title track is Let Me Hear You Scream. And to me, that is more classic Ozzy. I think the vocal delivery is great. I think that they do a lot, obviously, today to kind of layer the sound and make people sound like what they think they should sound. I thought this one really sound more like vintage Ozzy on the mic. So there you go. Number eight on the list. Let me hear you scream from the album scream. Number seven from the album Osmosis. And this is another one, too. I really like some things on this one. There are a lot of high points on this album. Osmosis is one that um, has a lot of cool moments. And, and let me recap some of those for you, too. Pro- probably a song that I didn't expect to like, that I absolutely love, and it's really more about the instrumentation than the lyrical content, is Perry Mason. I absolutely love the sound of that. Who do we need on the case? We need Perry Mason. A lot of people don't understand the reference, but the reality of it is the song absolutely rocks. But I also loved uh, I Just Want You, which is, I think, fabulous. Kind of the softer side of Ozzy. But my favorite song from Osmosis, and I want it played at my funeral. As a matter of fact, was there, when they're dismissing the crowd, I want this song played. It's See You on the Other Side. And uh, it's a song I feel it makes me kind of sad at times, too. Uh, when I think about some of the friends that we've lost and, and uh, things and people of that nature. Okay, so there you go. See You on the Other Side, the number seven song on your top ten list. Uh, number six from the album No More Tears. This is one of Ozzy's best bands. You had Zach and Mike Inez and um, Randy Castillo was on the drums. And that was sadly Randy's last album. Randy uh, spent some time with Motley Crue as well. And Randy died at a young age. Really, really sad. And there's actually a documentary out there about Randy's life. Wasn't quite uh, what we hoped it would be. But uh, again, some great singles from this one. Uh, Mama, I'm Coming Home was a huge hit. But my favorite song on this album is the title track, No More Tears. I love the way Mike Inez opens up with that incredible bass riff. Uh, Number six on the list. Okay, number five. This is one of those albums, too, that was kind of highly anticipated. Randy Rhodes had passed away. Jakey Lee had moved on uh, because of some difficulties with Sharon Osbourne. There were all these fights over royalties. There were some songs that Jake brought to the band when he joined that he didn't get credit for. And so it was all this stuff behind the scenes. The business of music kind of pushed Jake away. And then alcoholism played a factor as well. But he, Ozzy goes out and hires this 19-year-old guitarist named Zach Wild, who is an icon in rock music now. But he wasn't then. He was an unproven guy that had some killer chops. And so people wondered, what would the first album with Zach Wild sound like? And that was No Rest for the Wicked, which is an outstanding album. Crazy Babies was the first single. The video is absolutely wild. I love it. It's basically a take on the cover of the album. But my favorite song on that album, and, it, and no, it's not Miracle Man, which is a classic to me, 
it's breaking all the rules. I love it. And there's this little offbeat drum part later in, I used to think was a mistake. It's not. It's just kind of a change in tempo. But with Randy kind of, it sounds like there's a, a, a miss hit there. It's not. It used to bother me for years. I love the song. I love the guitar on it. The guitar solo just absolutely wails. Breaking all the rules, number five. Number four, I could make a case in some respects that this album should be a little bit higher, but many of you would be really upset with me. Not that I'm opposed to that, but you could argue that some of the the, the top three albums are probably the definitive top three albums, but I believe The Ultimate Sin doesn't get enough respect. A lot of people don't like the album. I don't appreciate that, really. I don't understand it. Uh, I think the best years of the Ozzy solo years, and again, I know it's sacrilegious and I don't care, were the Jakey Lee years. And you may say, well, Randy Rhodes was a better guitarist than Jake, and maybe that's the case. And I, I'm okay with that. I just think the quality of the songs during the Jakey Lee era were the best. Jake wrote a lot of those songs, so he deserves credit for that. I think he was an incredibly proficient and talented guitar player. I think his stage presence was phenomenal. And, and the work that he did with Badlands, absolutely incredible. And uh, Jake's kind of had some bad luck at life uh, since then. But to me, Ozzy Osbourne was never a bigger rock star at any point in his career than he was during the Jakey Lee years. But Ultimate Sin, one of my favorite albums of all time, not just from the Ozzy catalog. There's only one song on that album I don't like, and that's Thank God for the Bomb. I think that is that was a mistake. I mean, it's not just the lyrical content. Just the song is not very good. Everything else, whether it be Secret Loser or Never Know Why, incredible. Now, I know many of you are thinking he's going to go Shot in the Dark here. And I could. Shot in the Dark was obviously a huge breakaway hit uh, for Ozzy, the first single on that album. But I'm not going that direction. I could go Lightning Strikes, an incredible song. Probably doesn't get played on the radio enough. That opening riff is just phenomenal. And I love Randy's uh, drums on it, too. Could have gone that direction. Could have gone with the title track, The Ultimate Sin, that starts out with Randy just kind of riding those floor times and just you know letting you know, hey, the drums of war are here. But I didn't go that direction. I went with Killer of Giants. Matter of fact, that's in my Twitter bio. You probably never noticed, and if you did see it, you didn't know what it meant. That's the reference. Killer of Giants in my Twitter bio is really uh, in ho- a homage to... Uh, this album, this song, and the Jackie Lee and, and uh, to Ozzy Osbourne. And that's another one you can play it at my funeral. I, I've said before, if when I write the book of recovery, I might title it Killer of Giants just because of all the giants in my life that I've had to, uh, you know, had to slay. And I don't mean that physically, but really kind of spiritually, emotionally, and metaphorically. So you never know. And I don't mean that in a vanity project sort of way. I was given the tools uh, to work a program of recovery and overcome these... Uh, these demons and giants in life. So, but there you go. I love the Ultimate Sin album. If you're not quite familiar with the Ozzy catalog and you only know the hits, just put on the Ultimate Sin. I guarantee you'll be a fan. Number three, our first uh, Randy Rhodes album. And you're wondering which one I'm going to go with. I went with Diary of a Madman. That's number three for me. I think a Diary of a Madman album is really one in many respects that kind of showed people that Ozzy Osbourne wasn't going anywhere. A lot of people felt like he wouldn't be able to make it after he left Black Sabbath, which was kind of silly. Um, now, it's pretty crazy, you know. And, and again, we're going studio albums here. I didn't have Speak of the Devil in here or things like that. But, uh, you know, going with um, 
you know, Diary of a Madman, let's take a quick look back at uh, you know some of the, the highlights from that album. That's actually the second album with Randy. The cover was so controversial at the time. It's like when that album was released and there's Ozzy Osbourne on the cover, there were some record stores that put a sticker over some of the things. And I think if they could have sold it like in a sheath, they would have. Tonight is a great hidden track, kind of a deeper cut on this album. And then Over the Mountain, I love that opening uh, drum roll there. But I went with Flying High again. Number three on your list is Flying High Again uh, from the Diary of a Madman album. Love that one. All right, number two on the list, and I know many of you are saying, well, Steve's such a big Jakey Lee fan, he's going to put a Jakey Lee album first. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. But I am going to go with Bark at the Moon, which a lot of people, and it's like even people from my age don't, don't understand this is a Jakey Lee album. Or think, oh, well, you know, Bark at the Moon was... Uh, was Randy Rhodes. No, it wasn't. It was Jakey e. Lee. As a matter of fact, Jake wrote the song before he came and joined the Ozzy Osbourne band. It's uh, incredible to me that so many people, you know, are kind of casual fans of rock and then uh, get out here and jump into this and, and talk about, uh, you know, the albums. This this is one of those albums, too, that I think from start to finish, you just kind of hit the play button and let it go. Uh, Bark at the Moon, obviously, is the title track, and that's going to be... Um, that's going to be your song. That's your number two song. But I wanted to go real quickly and go through some of these tracks. That first, it was a cassette when I had it. That first side was so great. You're No Different From Me. Incredible song. Now You See It, Now You Don't. Another great one that, that kind of slayed live. Rock and Roll Rebel probably should have been uh, a single. And it's like, you know, there was all this satanic imagery and stuff around Ozzy. And people were saying, oh, well, Ozzy Osbourne's a devil worshiper. He answers that in a song. He says that they say I worship the devil. They must be stupid. All right. I'm just a rock and roll rebel. But so tired, slow down, waiting for darkness. Center of Eternity is probably an underappreciated song, too. Uh, be sure and check that one out. But the number one album was the first solo album. And that's not to say that Ozzy peaked with the first solo album. I just think there was just such a classic feel to this one. And I think it's one that still kind of stands the test of time. It is considered one of the greatest metal albums of all time. And it's Blizzard of Oz. What a great uh, play on words there. Blizzard of Oz, great. Could go a lot of different directions here. Really could. A lot of controversy with this album. A lot of people didn't like it. I loved it. I Don't Know, I think, is a killer opening track. Goodbye to Romance is one a lot of people know. Uh, you know, Suicide Solutions, another one that was very controversial. People thought that he was, he was advocating for suicide. It was really an anti-alcoholism uh, song. Mr. Crowley, of course, is about Aleister Crowley. So people are like, oh, what's going on with this? Uh, but Crazy Train, that's the one. That's the classic song. It's still played today. That's your number one song from the number one solo album of the Ozzy Osbourne solo catalog. So there we go. Top 10. So hope you like this new take on the top 10. So it's an, it is a revisited top 10 today. So again, we're ranking albums and then my favorite song from those albums. So it's a little bit different take on it, but also too gives us a chance to kind of appreciate some, uh, some classic rock. So now it's time to get into some baseball. How about you guys okay with that? I am okay with that. You should be. All right. So this, uh, this segment of show brought to you by campus bookmark.net uh, stand Amanda, Miss uh, Kathy Brown, the lovely talented Susie, everybody involved at campus bookmark going to do a great job for you. They're great people doing a great job at a great price. 
Go by and see them today. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. They carry all the books, too. They have them in stock. And while you're ordering your T-shirts, your hoodies, your grandchild's gifts, whatever, whatever you're looking for, get them to throw in a couple books for you. I got to get by there and sign some stock, but you can buy books from them, too. Uh, pretty soon, you're going to have to buy them from vendors because we're going to be sold out at the, uh, at the publisher until the new ones get here next month. Uh, but Campus Bookmark can help you, and uh, we'll give you a promo code to save you there, too. It's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. All right, let's jump into game one. You know, we, it had been a difficult week offensively for Mississippi State. You score two runs against Grambling, and people are like, well, no disrespect to Grambling. No, guys, there, there's a reason that those guys – Never get an at-large bid. It's not a great brand of baseball in the swack. I mean, listen, Roger Cador was a great friend when I was in Baton Rouge. I'm here now uh, at Southern. They were great. They even went out and beat Cal State Fullerton one time in a one-versus-four game. But historically, it's not been a great league. You know, Grambling's not a team that, that historically has competed. A lot of times it's been Jackson State. Uh, times it's been Alcorn, but it's really kind of been a JSU and some, some years Texas Southern. It's not a great Grambling baseball team. And it's like we try to like kind of tiptoe past the graveyard to make ourselves feel better. And that was a concern. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you get these soft tossing lefties. You don't see them a lot. But I was a little bit concerned. I was a little bit concerned. It's like, you know, you think at some point you'd make an adjustment. You make an adjustment. Well, we win the game 2-1. to one. And, and listen, I read some of these things on social media sometimes. And we get to be prisoners of the moment. Oh, I'm so embarrassed. I have never been embarrassed by a win in any respect when it's come to Mississippi State Athletics. A win is a win, it's a win. And if you've ever been a competitor, you understand. Some days you don't have your best day, and when you can pull out a win, a lot of times that brings you together more than some blowout does. Because you learn that even on your worst day, you can go out there and pull one out. you got enough talent. But it was concerning. Then you go to Southern Miss down in Pearl, and you score one run. And you're thinking, wait a minute here. Why are we still having these offensive issues? Now, we can do our best to explain it away. You've got some new pieces out there to kind of figuring it out. You know, Hunter Hines is brand new, too. It hadn't taken him long to figure it out. R.J. Yeager kind of had a breakout weekend for us this past weekend. Uh, but the reality of it is, is with the talent that we've been able to recruit over the last several years and the experiences that they have, we should win those games more times than not. And if we do lose, we should be competitive in those games. We were not competitive against Southern Miss on Wednesday. And there was a lot of doom and gloom heading down a two-lane. And it was justified. Yeah, you know, I'm a patient guy. But I'll be honest with you, I'm, I'm, I'm really concerned right now. And it's not a, for the reasons you guys are. I mean, there's some injuries and things like that. And I just hope some of these guys can grow up sooner rather than later, you know, before we have a real issue. And so we get down a two-lane on Friday – and I'm nervous. You know, all I've heard is about how Dylan Carmouche has kind of rebuilt and reborn, and uh, he has been dominant. He was 2-0 and in a 0.69 ERA. He was going to go on Saturday, so you start thinking, well, shoot, we better win on Friday. And I felt like, you know what, we have a good chance with Cade Smith on the mound on Sunday. So if we could win Friday and maybe Carmouche gets us on Saturday, we can pull that on Sunday. They're throwing Tyler Hoffman, not to be confused with Trevor Hoffman, and I think I called him on Trevor Hoffman on Twitter. But it's Tyler Hoffman. But State comes out and really beats him to death. We really did. And we needed a game like this to get a little separation, kind of stretch our legs a little bit. 
after what had been a frustrating week at the play. We needed a game like this. We'd love to have been able to save some runs for the rest of the weekend. We scored 33 runs on the, re- 33 runs on the weekend, and we lose the series. It's crazy how baseball works sometimes. But we go 1-2-3 there in the first, and then Landon Sims gets some 1-2-3, strikes out the side in the first. Top of the second, we break through with a run. Uh, Logan, who was 6-for-11 on the weekend, Logan Tanner, singles through the left side. Uh, Von Siebert reaches on a scoring error, and then LT goes to second. Combus on the fielder's choice, moves the runners around, or at least puts the first and third. Uh, they couldn't pull the double play there. And then Kellum Clark, and God bless Kellum Clark. I'm, I'm really pulling for him. He does a great job here on 3-0. They leave. They give him the green light on 3-0. He gets to get me over fastball, and he rips in the right field. It's a one nothing ball game. I don't believe in this unwritten rule of baseball that we're supposed to just let you throw a strike on 3-0 because I can tell you when it's 0-2 and I'm expecting you to throw a waste pitch, if you throw a strike and strike me out looking on 0-2, there's no – unwritten rule of baseball that protects me there so why do i have to protect your feelings when you're just trying to throw me a get me over strike you want to throw a strike by me you do it when i'm trying to swing how about that let's do that so don't come at me about you shouldn't swing on three well okay if that's the case you shouldn't throw a strike on oh two i mean how about we just play baseball how about that how about that all right so kellum pulls it through the right side we get the run home uh, then RJ strikes out, and then the leg flies out to left. But it's a one nothing ball game, and it felt in the ballpark. Well, okay, all right, okay, we're off and running. We got a lead. Then it's a, it's a case swinging, case swinging, and then uh, Chase Engelhard flies out to center field, and it's really kind of a situation of the ball finding the bat. It was a one and two, even kind of a defensive swing there, to be quite honest with you. State adds to the lead there in the third. We get single to the pitcher. Camden singles to the shortstop. Hunter Hines puts the ball in play. They force the runner at second, runners on the corners, and then Logan Tanner comes through with a sack fly. We tag, comes home. I take that back. That's not right. We flew out to center field there, couldn't advance a runner. And then Von Siebert singles through the left side, and I think he's going to be a dude too. I love the young nucleus of this team, You know, Hunter Hines, Von Siebert, uh, Austin Downs. We got some dudes that are joining this program that are going to make some noise in the years ahead, making a little bit of noise now. I don't know that Siebert shouldn't be in the lineup all the time. So we get a single to the left side, and uh, that chases the run home, makes it 2 nothing, and then Cumbus uh, grounds out. But again, it's a 2 nothing ball game. We feel like, okay, the way that Landon's pitching right now, we feel pretty good about the direction of this game. Then, it's, then he K's the side again. Top of four. We go out and blow it open here. Kellum strikes out swinging. Then Jaeger hits one of these uh, liners back up the middle that kind of tails away from the infielder. Leg is hit by the pitch, and then Luke Hancock walks. Now the bases are loaded. We get the sack fly here. Didn't get the big hit, but we got the sack fly, so we have a, we have a productive out here. Uh, runner tags and scores. And then Hunter Hines hits a three-run bomb to left. And it was really just a great job of hitting. There are a lot of times, too, you know, guys do too much thinking. Is that a ball? Is that a strike? No. I love Hunter Hines' approach to play. He is simply looking for something to hit. It may not always be a strike. This pitch that he hit out of the ballpark, I would venture to say it wasn't going to be a called strike. It's away from him and low. And what does he do? He goes out there and then slaps it over the left field wall. It's a three-run bomb. It is now 6 nothing. There was nobody in the stadium that expected Tulane to come back and win this game. Nobody. The way Landon Sims is pitching, uh, 
Everybody believed it was over. We get a walk to Tanner, and then we get a pop-up. We're out. And at this point, Tyler Hoffman's night is done. We get one, two strikeouts, and then Landon Sims is done. Now, he starts gripping at his hand. And so if you've been around the game, and you probably have seen some people post on message boards about this, when you tear your UCL, that's, that's a telltale sign. It's like all of a sudden you get numbness in the hand. You can't stretch out your hand. You know, things just aren't right. And Landon's having the MRI today. I expect a statement to come out here in the next couple of days that he has done for the year. Uh, would love to find out that that's not the case. That's just not what I'm expecting. Now, let's say we get there and the MRI is negative, And they say, hey, all of a sudden, hey, it's a pinched nerve or something, which is not what we're expecting, but it's always a possibility. I still think he's on the shelf for a couple of weeks. Like you you got to give him some time to get that fixed. But you know, based on the things that I've heard in the last couple of days, especially being down there at Tulane, you, you can talk to people on and off the record a lot of times, nobody around. I just don't expect him to be back. Single to shortstop, their first hit of the game breaks up the perfect game, and then Brennan Smith gets uh, Avilas to ground out. At this point, our immediate concern is about Lennon Sims. We want to finish the ball game. And uh, it's interesting, too. You know, I, I, I said I wasn't going to comment on this, but I am going to. Um, I'm the only guy in the media there covering the game. And somebody's like, well, can you get us an update? Guys, what am I supposed to do? Okay, I'm sitting right next to our baseball SID. They don't know anything either. There's nothing to know at this point. And do you think they're going to release that information? Oh, well, preliminary diagnosis is this. No, they're not going to. They're not going to do any of that without the family's permission. But not to mention, guys, Chris Simonis is trying to win a baseball game. You think I can just text him? I can, I can just call down to the dugout. Hey, Chris. Hey, it's Steve. I'm up here in the press box. Uh, you know, Bob from Bogachita on Twitter wants to know if there's an update on Landon Sims. No. No. No, nobody's going to do that. Why, why would we do that? And I know people are asking out of concern, but there are some people that ask out of malice. And it's like, oh, well, you know, Steve's being derelict in his duty. The First of all, I drive down to New Orleans and stay and eat at my own expense. I don't have an expense account. There's nobody reimbursing my expenses. That, that comes from Steve Robertson, Inc. And so I go down there and cover baseball because, number one, I love it. But number two, so you guys have some eyes and ears on the scene not going to interrupt the head baseball coach. I'm not going to walk down to the dugout in the middle of a ball game and ask him a question. Not going to do it. And if you're expecting that from me, you're expecting too much. I'm not going to do it. And not to mention there's a respect. You don't intrude as the media during the game. After the game, Chris is kind enough to give me a few minutes to ask some questions. And I asked him about Landon Sims. And he said, at this point, we don't know. You know, they got to get him back, get a, an official diagnosis, get him tested. And then I, I'm told he had the option to, uh, to, to get that done on Saturday, wanted to be with his guys, wanted to be with the team. He's a team guy. But no, no, don't expect me to get an update. Uh, it's a little different for football, I guess, and usually we'll hear they're not to return, where there's no free substitution in baseball. So when a guy leaves a game with an injury, uh, they're not coming back. But top of five, to get back to baseball here, this, is the, this was the inning that we really kind of flexed some muscle here, really kind of made a statement as the champs here. Uh, put up nine runs here. Compass opens with a double to left. Clark grounds out to first, moves the runner to the third. Jaeger then singles to left, knocks in the run, 7 nothing. 
Uh, Leggett reaches on a throwing error. Yeager runs around to third runners on the corners now with nobody out. They make another pitching change. Luke Hancock singles back at the middle of the first pitch. It's 8-0. Cam James with another sack fly. RBI, 9-0. Hunter Hines rips it down the right field line. Hancock goes to third. And, uh, excuse me, Hines scored and Hancock scores. There we go. So it's uh, 11-0. Siebert singles to left again. And then Tanner goes to third. Another pitching change. Cumbus doubles down the line and left. Two more runs are scored. 13-0. Kellum Clark then homers. It's 15-0. Jaeger walks. Forsyth comes in, reaches on a throw and error, and then they get Hancock finally to ground out. Uh, State bats around in the inning. Nine runs on eight hits, a couple of errors, and just two left on base. At this point, it's 15-0. Anybody that was holding out for a major comeback was sure to be disappointed. That happened on Saturday. Okay, top of six. And, again, you know, Brandon Smith doing a good job here. One, two, three inning. Fly out to center, ground out, ground out. And when Brandon's on his game, he's getting soft contact, you know, getting ground balls. He's getting under barrels, getting ground balls, and getting routine fly balls. It's really difficult if Brandon Smith to execute a pitch to elevate Brandon Smith. It really is. Very, very difficult to do. Right, at this point, we start substituting pretty liberally. And uh, – we you know, Slate Offord strikes out, Hunter Hines strikes out, and then uh, Matt Quarter walks, and Seabrook grounds out the second. Those are names you need to be familiar with, all of them. Okay, Tulane finally gets the board on the bottom of six. Mender doubles to left. LaPrairie grounds out, and uh, LaPrairie actually starts the year, I think, 0 for 19. He was not in the lineup Saturday or Sunday. Groff, who had a great weekend for Tulane, uh, flies out to center and gets the run home on a sack fly, and then from there, State gets out of it. It's a 15-1 ball game after six. Uh, we get into the seventh, and again, more substitutions here. State tacks on a little bit. Uh, Skinner grounds out to short. Downs is hit by the pitch. Then Davis Mesh walks. Uh, Forsyth reaches on a fielder's choice. Now you get runners to second, third. I guess the base is loaded here. Yeah, that's right. They, they, they tried to make the throw to second and uh, couldn't get it. Hancock um, out at one to P. Out pitcher to first or first to pitch. We ground the first. They they toss it to the pitcher who covers, and uh, the run scores there to make it sixteen. Slade Offord walks. Then Drew McGowan comes in and walks, and uh, makes it a seventeen to one ball game. Bottom of seven. Again, a bunch of substitutions here and uh, pinch hitters for for Tulane. Uh, they do nothing really in the inning. We get to the eighth. Uh, nothing going for State here. Again, a, a lot of substitution going on here. State 1-2-3 in the inning. Top of eight. They finally get another run on the board. And, again, it's LaPerry's Schultz walked, and he was a bigger deal on Saturday. We'll talk about him more then. LaPerry is hit by the pitch. And then Ethan Groff, again, comes through with the big hit to drive in a run. Two RBIs on the day, and it's leadoff hitter Ethan Groff getting it done. I was told he had, what, 17 RBIs all of last year. He has nearly reached that total already this year. Pretty impressive. Uh, then we get out of the inning, one, two, three. After after they score, the next three guys are out. Top of nine, State puts on two more runs. We get the run right back. Obviously, mesh singles to left, four side singles to the right side, and good to see that. Uh, wild pitch, most both guys up, and then it's another wild pitch. The run is in. Hancock walks. Alfred grounds into the double play. But the run scores make it a 19-2 game. McGowan gets out of the inning with a ground out to third. And then from there, uh, Drew Talley comes in. And uh, his Bulldog debut this year does a nice job. Strikes out the side. Uh, he's going to have 
Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing. The versatility of Tacovas is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tacovas does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours, too. Be sure and check them out. Tacovas believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tacovas boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. It's to be big for us in the weeks ahead. There's no doubt about it. We need Drew Talley to step up and be, be a dude for us. There's no doubt about that. All right, let's jump into game two. You guys uh, know there was a game two and another game that we should have won. We had a chance to take a series. And uh, there were some things that happened in game two that, that I was very perplexed about. And I have gotten some clarity today. So I'm going to share that with you uh, as, as it comes up in the game. I'm going to do my best to explain some things to you and say, Oh, well, here comes the spin. No, not, not the case at all. There, there's, uh, there's excuses and there's reasons. Got a couple reasons for some things that happened here. All right, so top of first, quick start for State. Hancock grounds out. And what do you, think, what do you guys think about Luke Hancock leading off? Guys behind him did a pretty good job moving around when he gets on. I was against it in the beginning because I wondered about Luke's speed at the top of the order. But you know what? We can't keep giving away outs. We've got to have two, three, and four hit with the pitcher in the stretch. Luke's doing a good job getting on base. Not this time. Uh, Cam James then walks, and then Hunter Hines singles to right field. And I was a little worried about putting a freshman in the three-hole spot, especially a left-hander, but Hunter's doing a great job. He singles to right, moves Cam to second. Then Logan Tanner singles back up the middle. Did a really good job of hitting. And, again, it's a 3-0 count. 3-0 count. He takes it basically to right center. James scores. Uh, Tanner goes to second, and Hines to third on a wild pitch. And then, here again, here we are, right? Here we are, runners to second, third, less than two outs, a chance to make something happen. Seabird is hit by the pitch, and then Brad comes up, bases loaded, one out, and we ground into a double play. And it seems like the game always seems to find you. you know, big moment there for Brad. And there were a couple this weekend, and Brad will tell you he wants to be up in those moments. You know, Brad's got to come through. He, he does, and he knows it. He doesn't need me or you to say it. He doesn't need you to go get on Twitter and say, come on, Mule. He knows. He gets it. He gets it. And this is a guy, too, you know, really kind of coming into his own. He, he, this is a guy that had a good start of the season. Probably has already exceeded every expectation we ever had of him as a baseball player. I submit to you 
these experiences right now from the school of hard knocks are going to make Brad Cumbus more of a clutch player if we move forward. He, he gets it. Trust me. Brad's putting in the work. Bottom of one, what do you know? Ethan Groff is on again. Uh, Haybear strike, Bear strikes out looking, and then Bennett Lee, homers to left, had a chance to meet his dad over the weekend too. Uh, those folks have a lot of respect for Mississippi State baseball, not like you would think. Uh, you know, that's the way some of their fans acted last year. Those baseball parents, a lot of respect for Mississippi State. Louis Avila strikes out, and then Lambert strikes out. So they take the lead right back, and you think, okay, it's going to be one of those games. And I thought Preston Johnson really really buckled down after this and pitched some of the best baseball of the season so far for him. Uh, Clark walks, then Jaeger doubles down the line to chase in Kellum Clark, who is – I would not want to be in his way coming around third. Uh, Forsyth grounds out to third, and then Hancock walks. Cam James comes up and singles to the right side, moves Hancock to second. RJ comes around to score, and immediately State already has the lead. State comes right back, takes the lead, 3-2. Hunter Hines hit by the pitch. For some reason, that's happening with pretty good regularity. Uh, Cam James, of course, goes to second. Hancock to third. Bases are loaded, and then Logan Tanner hits the uh, grand salami to make it 7-0. At this point, I think we all feel like the game was over. And in some respects, we played like it too. And I don't mean that in any disrespectful way to anybody. Uh, I asked some of the people, did you feel any letdown? You know, was there any kind of ease up? And everybody's like, no, I don't think so. I think there was, quite honestly. I was. And it's only human nature, especially with some younger guys in the lineup. Uh, Then Siebert strikes out looking, Cumbus grounds out to third. But it's 7-2. But remember, a lot of ballgame left. Uh, Presto goes 1-2-3 there in the second. Top of third, state tax on another one. Kellum Clark hits an absolute tank to right center. I thought it was going to leave the park. 8-2. Nothing more after that. Bottom of third. Uh, we get Mender out, and then what do you know? Ethan Groff doubles to right center. Again, we couldn't get the kid out. Hebert strikes out, or Haybert. I can't tell if it's Haybert or Haybert. I'm just going to call him Hebert. How about that? Because uh, there's no extra R in there. These Louisiana pronunciations sometimes are kind of a uh, unrefined science. And then Lee grounds out the short. So it's 8-2. Even though we give up the double, that didn't come around to hurt us. Top of four, it feels like we're about to put this thing away. Hunter Hines, again, with tickets a one-out double left field. Got a runner in score position with less than two outs. Another good opportunity. What do we do? We come through. We come through here. It's Logan Tanner who doubles to left center. Uh, and then – Advances to third on the drop fly by the catcher. This is this is kind of this scoring is kind of incomplete here. We had a pop up here, and the, the first baseman Avilas runs into the catcher and he drops it. And so then you get the double from 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 uh, Logan Tanner that drives in the run. So the, the scoring here is kind of difficult to read, but that's what happened. We had second life and we made them pay for it. Tonight's nine two. Uh, Siebert strikes out swinging, then Compass again. We got a chance here, right? Got a runner in scoring position. Cumbus comes through, doubles down the line. LT scores, makes it 10 2. Clark then walks, and Jaeger lines out uh, to center to end the inning. It's 10 2. And we are loving life down in the Big Easy right now. Everybody's thinking, hey, this is, we're fixing to take the series, man. The Bulldogs are back. And it's incredible how things change. They brought in a Siegel kid who is outstanding. He's only allowed a handful of base runners all year, and he shut us down the rest of the ballgame. I, I submit to you, even when you score 10 the first four, there's so many outs left to give. It's so difficult to win a ball game when you don't score in the second half of the game. We found that out the hard way. 
Siegel comes in, it's a ground out, and Hancock gets a single. Cam strikes out swinging, Hines singles, and all of a sudden think, okay, we've got runners here, runners on the corners, a chance here to kind of extend the inning. We don't. Uh, we get a ground out from LT. They force the runner there at second. That's about the most offensive we were against Siegel the whole ball game. It really is. So we get to the uh, the fifth here, and again, we're just kind of feeling good, man. It's like we finally get uh, – and we get the leadoff guy out with Mender. Groff then singles to third base on a bunt. I mean, the kid can do it all. I mean, I'm really impressed with the development of this guy, for sure. They pinch hit, and I'm glad they get Hebert out of the ballgame, so I don't have to think about that. Morrow pinch hits for Hebert, and then he singles. Groff then goes to second, and P.J. comes back and strikes out the side, the last couple of guys. I guess not striking out the side, but he gets the final two guys swinging to get out of it. So you strand the runners there. Top of six, we go one. Siebert walks, and then Cumbus grounds into a double play, and then Clark flies out to left. So pretty basic inning there for us. We hit Lambert, and then Engelhard reaches on a fielder's choice as we forced the runner at second, tried to turn two, couldn't get it done there. And then Baumgart strikes out swinging, Hart grounds out to short. Inning is over. We're getting deep in the ballgame now, and at this point I think everybody was feeling comfortable. Seven run lead headed to the seventh inning. We go one, two, three, and our half of the seventh. A ground out from Jaeger, strike out from Forsyth, and then uh, Hancock grounds out to short. Still felt like we're okay. We bring in Jack Walker, and Jack Walker is going to have some big days in a Mississippi State uniform. Uh, Jack pitched exceptionally well against Grambling. Did not pitch well against Tulane. And he'll tell you the same. And that's baseball. Young, when you're having to depend on young guys, there's going to be some up and down. And that's kind of where we are right now, uh, especially with this bullpen. Got some guys injured. Got some guys that are uh, you know, kind of figuring some things out right now. And so you're having to depend on some guys that are largely unproven. And, again, Jack Walker going to win a lot of bowl, ball games in a Mississippi State uniform. And, unfortunately, he did not have a good inning. Did not retire a hitter here. Mender doubles down the line. Groff is then hit by the pitch. That'll show him. Uh, Morrow singles to short. And that it, and, and this is a play right here. I would like to go back and see it again. I thought we had a play at third. And I talked to a couple of you, you guys, you fans. I thought we just didn't pull the trigger. And somebody said, hey, I don't know that Cam was ready to receive the throw at third. Don't know. I had to went back and looked. But I thought we had a play. It would have been a bang-bang play, but it was a forced play. We don't make a throw there. I don't know who that's on. But that was a big opportunity there to get an out during a bit of a rally, maybe to help Jack out a little bit. It was going to be a tough play, but a play that you know you expect a team of our caliber to make. Lee then singles to the shortstop, and then the run scores, and uh, it's now ten to four. And then Margit is what they call him. They're going to start calling him Marget then Louisiana after this day. He hits a grand slam. Now it's a ten eight ball game, and you're thinking, oh, holy smokes. How did this happen? We've given up five runs in the inning. Jack leaves. They bring in Brooks Auger. And I, I like Brooks Auger. I know that he um, has had a little up and down. But I think this guy has some stuff with him. I really do. Uh, I, I think he's just got to get a little more mentally tough. You know, we've got to have some poise when things don't go our way. Uh, and that hurt us a little bit with him on Sunday. I do think that he is a guy down the stretch this year that you guys are going to be calling for. When, when we get ready later in ball games. Because he is a guy that is around the plate. He is a guy that can change speeds a little bit. And he is a guy that has good sync on the fastball. I, I'm, I think Brooks is going to be just fine. 
Uh, Lambert pops out to third. Inglehart lines out to right. We walk Baumgartner, but then we get Hart strikeout looking. And this is kind of what I'm talking about. We've had something negative happen. We need to, to kind of quell the uprising here. Auger comes in and gets three to first four hitters out. And the one he didn't, it's a 3-1 count. And I, I thought we were nibbling a little bit there. But we come back, obviously, with a tie and run at the plate, and we strike him out looking. So good pitch from a young man that I expect big things from. That doesn't help us in the final outcome this day. So I'm beginning to think now it would be great, it would be wonderful, you know, hey, if we could, um, you know, figure some things out here in the top of eight. Another insurance run would make me feel a lot better. Well, we have top of the order up, and you think, well, close to top of the order. We got two, three, four up. You think, okay, well, maybe we can scratch out a run here. Cam lines out to left. Hines is hit by the pitch. Now you've got a runner on, you know, an insurance run on. Let's move him around. Well, LT strikes out swinging, and it was a lengthy at bat, one of the only times that he didn't put the ball in play all weekend. And then Skinner grounds out to second. So we get nothing in the inning. Stone Simmons comes in in the eighth for Auger. He gets Mender to line out the left. Groff, the only time we got him out, it seemed like all weekend. A fly out to center on the very first pitch. And I turned uh, to our sports information staff, and I said, that's a big out right there. And it was. And then we get Morrow to strike out swinging. Nine pitches, the side is retired. And uh, we're thinking, hey, now all of a sudden we're good. We're three outs away from taking the series. Insurance run will be nice, but even if we don't get it, we've got them kind of where we want them. Uh, Cumbus grounds out to third. Clark strikes out looking. Jaeger singles through the right side. And then Forsyth strikes out looking. So really kind of a non-productive inning for State. These are the things that frustrate me a little bit here too. You know, late in ball games, you know, it's not just about scoring runs. Sometimes just to take a little pressure off the pitchers late, especially when you've got young guys in new roles. Offense has got to – you say, well, see, we scored 10 runs. It's true, we did. Wasn't enough though. You know, and all of a sudden, you know, in their dugout, they're saying, just get somebody on. We got time to run to play. Just get somebody on. Let's get somebody on. Get somebody on. You tack on a run or two, you start beating some of that back. Baseball's an emotional game. Everybody tells you it's not, it is. Top of nine, Stone doesn't come out. i be honest with you, I was like, what in the world are we doing? He's faced 13 hitters this year and retired all 13. It's a two-run ball game. Surely he can get us three outs before they get two runs. I found out since then that uh, Stone couldn't come back out. And, matter of fact, Stone uh, uh, being checked out by medical personnel this week, early this week, and uh, probably won't see him for a week or two. Uh, could be a little bit longer. And uh, just not exactly sure of the ailment. Just told he had a little bit of tightness. and It didn't really feel right coming off the mound. And so now all of a sudden you got to figure it out. It wouldn't just – and I know – and this is the thing too, and I love everybody to death. I do. But if there is anybody in the history of Mississippi State sports that deserves a little benefit of the doubt, it's Chris Lamonis. We won an AFL championship with Chris making all the right calls last year. And people are like, oh, I don't agree with always pitching – Honestly, knowing what you know about baseball, do you think Chris Simonis would have said, yeah, let's just – Stone got him out on nine pitches. Let's experiment a little bit. Guys, there is no way Stone wasn't going back out there if he was right. And he wasn't right. I didn't know that at the time. I was feeling just like you guys did. I just didn't get on Twitter and message boards and say it. I was thinking, 
what in the world are we doing? This makes no sense. Until I find out later what's really happened. Matter of fact, I had somebody call me yesterday morning and said, hey, do you know what's going on with Stone? At that point, I didn't know anything was going on with Stone. I find out later, started asking some questions, you find out, yeah, he just didn't feel right, and so we didn't send him back out. State is always going to err on the side of caution when it comes to pitchers' arms. And that's not just for the current team, but that's for recruits of the future. And then one of the craziest things I've ever seen happen in a college game happens in this inning. I've seen it happen in high school. As a matter of fact, I was actually the trail runner on a play like this in Little League. How about that? That goes back a few years, right? So we bring in Parker Stinnett, who had thrown four innings and did a really good job against Grambling. And granted, it's Grambling, okay? And, and I mean that with as much respect as I can muster. But I thought that was the best outing of the year for Parker Stinnett. And uh, you know, so you bring him back out there and think, hey, let's get three outs. We get a ground out to, to third, and usually that's how it works. It's like in these tight ball games in the ninth, when the leadoff guy gets on, you're going to lose. Right? That's just how it always seems. I think, the, I think when the leadoff guy gets on, it's like he scores 7,456% of the time. Those numbers are approximate. But we get the leadoff guy. And it's funny how that works. Sometimes you get the leadoff guy and it kind of snowballs because all of a sudden the pressure shifts. Like, okay, the leadoff guy didn't get on. Now the number two guy's thinking, okay, well, I got to get on. So a lot of times the mental focus changes a little bit. Well, we walked him on five pitches. And it's a 3-0 count. The only strike in the at-bat was to get me overstrike. And in that situation, you're not swinging, right? We get up, we get down 2-0, and then we walk the next guy too. So now all of a sudden, there's runs at first and second. They bring in Schultz, who is, he knows nothing. Uh, they bring in Schultz, who is the fastest player on the team, according to the two-lane media relations folks. So they put him in at first, and you're thinking, okay, they're going to try to get a gapper here, maybe score him from first. They can find a way to, you know, to bunt these guys around or whatever, which I think was probably the plan at some point. But the reality of it is, is with good speed on the bases, you're thinking, hey, we got a chance to tie or win the game here in the ninth. So there's two outs, excuse me, one out and two on. And we bring in Mikey Tepper. And that's one of the things, that in hindsight, knowing what I know about Stone, I kind of ask, well, why didn't we just go with Tepper to begin with? You know, like if we want Mikey Tepper to be the closer, you know, why don't we bring him? And maybe we just thought, hey, you know what? Parker's been in these situations a little bit more. So let's ride with that. Well, no choice to be made here. We bring in Tepper, and then he hits Englehard to load the bases on an 0-2 pitch. And that was the thing, too. It's like we get going, there's a strike swinging, there's a foul off. It's an 0-2 pitch. You get this guy here. Now, all of a sudden, you start feeling like the game is over. Yeah, there's two on, but there's two outs. And then the pressure shifts. We hit him. Now the bases are loaded. Now the pressure's back on us. And Simon Bumgard, the guy that played for La Prairie, the guy that started the year 19 for Tulane, he hits a fly ball to right field. Now there's a few things I've learned about this one too. Long fly ball. And guys, it's about a 25-mile-an-hour wind out there. The ball is really carrying him. You saw some of the shots that left the field. It wasn't just, you know, based on Louisville slugger. Uh, meeting the Dusty Pearl. There was a lot of wind out there, some wind they did home runs. This ball is hit. Drew McGowan runs it down. And I had somebody tell me you know, he had to make sure he had the catch. You know, it was a pretty difficult catch at the time. You know, and he didn't look especially athletic. And people say, I don't understand. You don't understand the wind these guys were dealing with. I'm not making an excuse. But then from here, we make a mistake. 
you know, we had to make sure we had the catch. We're a little late getting the ball back. We didn't make a great throw on the relay to the relay man. And some of that, too, you're throwing into the wind. So it's kind of a perfect situation for Tulane here. I got, okay, you know the guy from third is going to score easily. I got the fastest guy on my roster at second. And if I'm, Jarek, I'm going to make Mississippi State make a play. And I admire it. I absolutely do. I think it is, without a doubt, smart baseball. They got a relay from the track, and I got my fastest guy 180 feet from tying this baseball game. I'm going to make you throw him out. And that's exactly what they do. Sack fly. So it's pretty crazy how it all works here. Marjay scores, or Margaret, whatever they want to call him. And then Schultz comes around. So there's two, two run score on the sack fly. And uh, I think the, the scoring here officially is incorrect. I think you get one RBI on, on that situation. It's pretty rare. So I don't know exactly the scoring on that, but I think it's actually one RBI. But it doesn't matter who gets charged or what here. The tying run scores from second. Uh, and now, now Cam, and you know, Cam's one of my favorite Bulldogs. Cam double clutch a little bit on the throw. You know, and I haven't seen the replay, uh, but in, in live action, it's like we're a little bit – we had to make sure we had the catch. We make a tough throw into the wind. It's not on target. It's not true glove side. We have to make an adjustment. And then it's like situational awareness here. I, I, don't, I think Cam was kind of shocked they were sending him, and we don't make a great throw. If we do make a throw to the plate, he's out 10 feet. But they forced the action, and hey, good for them. Ultimately ties the ball game. From here, it's all kind of academic, right? And I felt at this point the game was over and that we were going to lose. Uh, top of the 10th, though, Luke Hancock has a little something to say about that. There's a double to left center. So now all of a sudden, we have the leadoff guy on. And you heard my numbers earlier. It's like, you know, 75,000% of the time when the leadoff guy gets on, he scores in late ball games, And then we don't do it. That's the thing that's infuriating. It's like, Double the center. We only need, you know, and, and probably, what about bunting here? You know, I, Cam is skilled enough with the bat. Maybe you bunt here, and that way anything gets him home, whether it be, you know, a fly ball, a wild pitch, or anything. But I also kind of agree with the, 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 the theology of, uh, hey, let's, uh, I got two, three, four up and a runner in scoring position. Somebody's going to get a hit. So you can play a little small ball here. It's just kind of a matter of interpretation of how you want life to go. I would have bunted here. That's just the old head and coach and me. I'm going to bunt. But we did. And I can't really argue against it. There's two schools of thought there, and I can't say that anyone is more correct than the other. Uh, but I think, you know, with, with Hunter Hines coming up, I feel like this is the guy that can, can elevate a ball for me. Cam grounds out on the very first pitch, and then Hunter Hines, pretty lengthy at bat here. They finally get him swinging. He actually was ahead in the count 3-1, and it's a taken strike, a foul ball, and then – Another taking strike there. And then they intentionally walk LT, and I don't blame him. He had killed him all weekend. They're trying to get the Skinner. We counter with uh, Downs, who walks. So now all of a sudden the bases are loaded. A base hit here probably gives State a couple-run lead. And again, the game finds Brad. And again, these are situations that he's going to have to get more comfortable in. I'm, I'm never going to throw shade at any of our players. But, you know, this is – I know Brad wants to be in these situations, and Brad's got to come through in these situations. And, and eventually he will, and he did earlier. It's tough becoming the man. It really and, – and people say, well, you know, 
Tanner Allen was a man. Yeah, Tanner Allen was a guy early on, too, that struggled in some of these situations, too. And then eventually he got it. I'm not in any way going to suggest that Brad's going to have National Player of the Year honors. It's not what I'm suggesting. But until you've been in those situations, you don't know how to handle them. When you're used to other people picking you up, you don't know how to handle them. If that makes sense. Compass strikes out swinging. And uh, you got down 0-2, and then next thing they busted him in with a fastball and a 2-2 count. And uh, and that's it. And then next thing you know, Mender lines out to center. And then who is it? Ethan Groff, homers to left field, and actually broke the scoreboard. Pretty amazing weekend for him and his family, to say the least. Final segment of the show brought to you by your friends at Portico. You know, Brooks Bryan is part of that great group, bringing a great residential development to Starkville. Great group of people doing a great job for a great group of fans in a great town. Be sure and learn more about Portico. Very easy to find 82 off 12. And then the very first ride is Pat Station Road, and you go check it out. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home. Go up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home. Whether it be your primary residence, your ball game weekend retreat, maybe it's your retirement home. Maybe you're just already thinking about that. Or maybe it's just a place that's an investment property for you. Portico is a great place to live. If I was moving to Starkville now, it's where I'd live. You think I'm joking? I'm not. I would love to be that close to campus. 1.1 miles away, and it's on the quiet side of campus. Be sure and check it out. Give Brooks a call today. He'll give you some information, kind of get you lined up. And if you're if you're thinking about moving to this area and your real estate agent has not mentioned Portico, you might want to ask. You might want to ask and do your own due diligence here. Uh, give Brooks a call, 601-416-8075. Again, 601-416-8075. Make Portico your next move. Okay, let's get into game three here. And again, a chance for us, you know, we didn't get off to a great start. Um, and, you know, Cade Smith has kind of established a pattern of pounding people with first pitch fastballs. Tulane waiting for that. They, they were determined not to let him get ahead because he is the guy, when he gets 0-1, he's the guy that's going to make you hit his pitch. He may not strike you out, but he's going to make you beat the ball on the ground. He's going to pitch a soft contact. This kid's going to be a star, and it may be before this year is over. Kate Smith's got a lot of ability. I'm a huge Kate Smith fan. But uh, we didn't do a lot to help him early on with the bats. But all that said, you know, we did a really good job of kind of working back into this thing and having a chance to win. Again, we just couldn't finish. Uh, one, two, three inning for State in the first. And I didn't think they were great at bats. And Massey has not been great uh, for Tulane. He was really good against us. Top of the first, what happens? Ethan Groff lines the first pitch fastball in the left side. You're going to be tired of hearing that guy's name. Then Schultz singles to center field, gets runners to first and second. Lee grounds into a double play. Really, really, really nice play here. Really nice play here. Uh, you know, Cam tags the runner coming through and then throws on the first. Just a great defensive effort right there. I mean, outstanding. Uh, Marget, I'm going to go ahead and jump on that. Marget singles to left center. And Schultz scores, makes it one nothing. Not nearly as dramatic as the last time that Schultz scored for Tulane. And then we get out of the inning with no further damage. It's one nothing. Top of the second. Again, it's a 1-2-3. Well, I guess it's 1-2-3. They face a minimum here. Uh, Logan gets a single, and then Clark grounds into a double play. And then Aaron Down strikes out looking. And uh, one nothing. So nothing doing for State really there. And then Englehart doubles to right center. Mender grounds out, advances him a third. And then Hart grounds out to first. Ethan Groff walks, and the first, the fourth ball was so bad, it was a wild pitch, and so Englehard scores. 
and even at that point in the ball game, that felt like a very significant play. It really did. It's kind of an intentional, unintentional walk. You got a base open. We're not going to mess with this guy. And then we we throw it to the screen. Actually, we're heading this count one, two, and end up giving up a run without a ball being put in play. I mean, those are the kind of things that get you beat. First stolen base of the year, Ethan Groff takes second. Good throw with a guy. And we were a little bit on the shortstop side of the bag there. And then we get a fly out. Top of third, one, two, three for State. So, basically, we have managed one hit the first time through the order. Not doing a good job getting the ball out of the infield, kind of beating it in the ground. Until we start uh, handling that breaking stuff down, we're going to see a bunch of it. Uh, bottom of third, great job. Kate Smith adjusts here, right? Now, all of a sudden, it's like we're not throwing these first pitch fastballs. Now, we're kind of pitching you backwards a little bit. It's a one, two, three inning for Tulane. Again, stakes, one, two, three in the fourth. Ground out, line out, ground out. Now, the one for Cam James, the line out to third, was an incredibly well-struck ball. The guy just elevates and gets it. And this inning, it was ridiculous, the plays they made. The one that Hunter Hines hit back up the middle, it's a diving stop on the outfield grass. They throw him out. And it kind of felt like, you know what, this, and I even said this in my notes column, this just doesn't feel good. It's like all of a sudden, you know, even when we do hit some balls hard, they're making the plays here. Even though we were starting to barrel Massey up a little bit, we weren't able to get it out of the infield because the two-lane infield was playing so well defensively. Bottom of four, again, Cade Smith has now settled down. One, two, three inning. And uh, pretty good stretch right here. Cade Smith pitched well enough to give State a chance to climb back in the ballgame. That's all you can ask for. Again, early in, you know what? They had a good scouting report. They executed it, and then State adjusted. Baseball is a game of adjustments, and Cade Smith uh, does a great job adjusting here. So in the fifth, State finally gets through. Logan reaches on a fielding error by the second baseman. I disagreed with the call, and I told them as much. Uh, the second baseman never touched it. Now, he makes a great play the inning before on a diving play. This is a rolling ground ball. He just didn't get his glove down enough. It wasn't a routine play. He had to come pretty hard to his left to get it. They rolled it an error. It was not an error, and I'll never be convinced otherwise. It was a hit. They scored an error. And then Clark reaches on a fielder's choice. They force Logan at second. Uh, Downs then doubles to center field. For a second off the bat, I thought this thing might get out. He absolutely smoked it. This, This is a kid, too. He's a freshman, really strong kid, and when he hits the ball, you've heard me brag about him before. He's a guy that really, really makes good contact. In this situation here, I think he actually hit the ball too hard. He didn't get under it enough, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like if he's under it a little bit, the wind's going to carry this thing out. He absolutely blistered this baseball and ends up being a double to center field. And then Clark goes around to third. Compass, again, comes up, runners at second and third, less than two outs, trying to do, trying to elevate a baseball here, just mishits it a little bit, pops up to first. RJ then walks, and then they walk Tanner Leggett, Walks in a run, bases are loaded, and Luke Hancock's coming up. And this is and this is where I'm thinking. I talked to Luke the day before about, hey, we got to find a way when there's opportunity to score runs to score. And I know nobody wants it worse than Luke. We get a ground out to third. That ball gets through. Who knows what happens? I mean, it's like these are opportunities that we're, that we're missing, especially in these middle innings. Hart comes in and grounds out against Kate Smith. And then Ethan Groff, again, the same guy, hits a home run. That ended a streak, I believe it was eight consecutive retired uh 
yeah, eight consecutive retired by Smith. He had really found the groove. Like I had read some people, well, he wasn't as good this week. No, he was just as good as he always was. It's just early on they kind of ambushed him early on his first pitch fastballs. He was outstanding. I got no issue at all with Kate Smith's play, none. Single to left field, and then Schultz still second. We get a line out to left, and then Marget grounds out to second. And it's a 3-1 ball game. But here we go. Cade Smith's doing it, just kind of jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and jabbing and kind of keeping those guys at bay. State finally gets even here at the top of six. Cam James strikes out swinging, then Hunter Hines hits an absolute monster home run to right field. Off the bat, I was just hoping it would stay fair. There was no doubt about it. That ball was leaving town. That really fired us up a little bit, and I thought it really shook uh, Massey up. They yank him, bring in Welch, who was really ineffective. He walks LT. Then we get a single from Clark, and then Aaron Downs walks. Now, all of a sudden, the bases are loaded. Bases are loaded with one down. You think, okay, again, we've got a chance here. And what happens? The game finds Cumbus again, right? And, and, I, and people feel like I'm piling on Brad. I'm absolutely not. He is going to get better as he gets more comfortable in these situations, and we need him to be. And, again, Brad wants to be in these situations. This time he does come through. Rather than pop it up on the infield, or, you know, he didn't hit a grand slam, but it's a productive out. He rips the ball out to center field. We tag and score. It's a tie ball game. Now, of course, we prefer the bases clearing double. But if you're not going to get that, you got to find a way to advance runners. He does. So that's a positive right there for Brad. He comes through again. He's had some situations this weekend where he didn't put the ball in play. Uh, this situation he did. And so, again, the more times he sees it, the more comfortable he's going to get with it. And Brad's going to be a guy that you can count on. Yegerton strikes out swinging. And that's the thing you think about, too. It's like, hey, we got, you know, we got runners on the pond here, too. And then Yeager doesn't get the big hit here. Doesn't even put it in play. It's a three-pitch strikeout. So it's not just Jermaine and one or two players. We got to get hits with runners in scoring position. Bottom of six, it's a one, it's a hit by pitch on Morrow. And then it's a double play. And it's hit right back to Smith because pitchers are athletes, too, right? Smith grabs it, throws to second, we turn two, and then we get Engelhart to fly out. And, uh, again, a very nice effort for, for Smith, and, and he is saddled with a no decision uh, at the end of the day. Top of seven, we have a chance to, uh, to break some things open. We do manage to get the lead. Leg reaches on a fielding error. They walk Hancock, and then Cam James lines out to right. Leg tags and takes third. They bring in, I say Nupel, they say Nopel. Keaton Nopel or Napel comes in and uh, comes in to try to get Hines, and then Hines reaches on the fielder's choice and Leggett scores. They pull him, bring in Thomas, and then he rolls up a double play ball. But State is up 4-3, top of seven. So, again, we're nine outs away from winning the series. We give it right back, and I say we give it right back. That's exactly what we did. We get a strikeout swinging. Then there is a single and a walk. We bring in Brooks Auger for Smith. Schultz then flies out to right. Hart goes to to third. Two down, right? Then Lee walks. Bases are loaded, and we balk in a run. And that's Brooks Auger. And, again, I'm going to be a big fan of his. I think the guy's going to compete. This is just a moment here where we kind of lost our composure a little bit, and we gift them a run. We bring in Cam Tuller to pitch to the left-hander. They elect to pinch hit from R.J. and bring in Lambert. We end up walking him, too. And that was a lefty-righty matchup. We bring in Cam to face the lefty, which I think is his role. 
you know, lefty versus lefty. I just I don't know that he's a guy that at this point you know can give you like innings. I think he's just a matchup guy. Uh, and then we bring in Drew Talley to face a right-hander. We get a foul out to right field. Great play by Kellum Clark out there too. All right, but it's a four-four ball game. And you're thinking, okay, somebody's got to come through. They make a bunch of defensive changes, and then here we go. Clark Downs and Cumbus. We go one, two, three. One, two, three. Game's still even. Bottom of eight. Tulane does what winning teams do. They get the leadoff guy on a double down the line, sacrifice him over to third, double to left center, scores him. And at that point, it's basically the game. They pop up to second. We intensely walk Groff, thank goodness. And then uh, Schultz grounds out to first. It's a 5-4 game. We go into the ninth, and we've got uh, 9-1-2. Not a really bad combination for us. Tanner Leggett's had some big hits for us. Um, I guess we. I'm kind of ahead of myself here. Uh, Siebert walks. Works account and walks. He hits for RJ. Works account. Gets the walk there. And then Leg gets the bunt down. So we've got the tying run at second with the top of the order up. Hancock flies out the center and Cam uh, pops up basically with a short right. Second base and runs it down. This is something we talk about, inconsistent and play at top of the order. You look at what happened Friday, those guys are coming through getting big hits. Look at what happened most of the day on Saturday, those guys are coming through. But late in ball games, you know, we're still, we're still needing that guy to step up and be the guy. Simple as that. They're not going to give you the game. You got to go take it. Not going to give you the game. You got to go take it. Simple as that. All right, listen, that's your show. I will be uh, – I will not be in Biloxi. I, I had planned to be in Biloxi. I'm still debating about tomorrow. I'm, I may talk myself into going over tomorrow. I actually have a book signing in Ruville, Mississippi, Wednesday night. Uh, when they set – that was supposed to be next week, and there was some confusion. And uh, since they are expecting me, Mike Nemeth will come down and cover these games in Biloxi for us. And um, so we'll have full coverage. I'm not sure. I don't think Robbie's coming. Mike will be here. So we'll have coverage uh, for everything that takes place in Biloxi, whether I'm there Tuesday night or not. I, I love going. And so I'm, I'm leaning towards going today. We'll see how things look tomorrow. But uh, either way, jeanspage.com will have you covered. But I will be at the farm Wednesday night in Rueville, Mississippi, uh, signing books and uh, hopefully watching the Bulldogs win a game against Texas Tech. This Texas Tech team, very, very good. We'll talk more about them on Wednesday. Of course, we'll have played them on Tuesday. I think we got to do no worse than a split. We'd love to win them both. You can't, we can't drop them both. Jackson Fristo's got to get out there and go do a good job for us. But uh, we're counting on some guys that are very talented, that are kind of short of experience in the bullpen. They're going to have to grow up very quickly. This is Mississippi State baseball. Uh, we don't have a rebuilding year here. We, we don't. We don't. A, a rebuilding year for us is we're a road regional. And so, and maybe that's what we're facing right now. Uh, I'm again, I'm concerned, but none of these problems that we have are unfixable, other than the fact that we've got some young guys that are inexperienced in the bullpen that are having to pitch more because we have some injuries. That's that's the reality of it. We have some injuries. We have some guys that are going to take some time off to rest and hopefully heal. Uh, but in the meantime, these other guys that we recruited are highly recruited players too. It's time. It's their time, and it may be earlier than we expected. But the reality of it is, they got to come out and pitch. Uh, if you're looking for books, you can find them at dogpiledebook.com. You can get Flim Flam, Alpha Dogs, and Stark Villains there. And uh, informed last week, there are only about 200 copies of Stark Villains available. That's it. 
don't know if they're going to do a reprint this year. Maybe next year, and maybe not at all. And so if you're looking for Stark Villains and you don't have it already, you need to order it. And you can do that at dogpiledbook.com. Again, about 200 copies left in the warehouse. About 300 or so of Alpha Dog. So that's kind of a, kind of, I wouldn't say it's an emergent situation yet. But if you're looking for those books, uh, you might want to order sooner rather than later. And again, we will soon be at a dog pile uh, through the website. You'll still be able to buy them from stores. And then they'll have new inventory showing up in, uh, in late April. I'll keep you apprised of that. Uh, and I think we're down to the nitty-gritty now. Uh, people now, they order a book like on Tuesday, Wednesday, they get it Thursday, Friday. So uh, the shipping issues appear to be behind us. Uh, still got a couple people I'm working with. I had a couple of friends of mine that ordered multiple books and got one, and we're getting those resolved for them. And so if you got issues, reach out and let us know. Um, but until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies, and people can see a difference in the way we live. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.